today on Tea and Teaching. When you were making those videos and when you do make those videos, did you ever think they would be used by teachers in that way? So I guess I hope they would be helpful to a range of people and that would include teenagers and young adults who were interested in the news. I didn't imagine that we would start hearing from as many secondary school teachers as we did. That was a really lovely surprise. I didn't I didn't expect that. In my experience, you can't explain something with clarity and in, in a way that's helpful unless you've understood it, right? You, you can't short circuit that, that process in my experience. And so the first thing that I do is that I'm highly tuned to when I don't understand something and I don't ignore it. So I'm really looking out for my discomfort when I might be discussing in the office a subject or perhaps I'm reading an article or watching a report. I'm looking out for the moments where I'm thinking, actually, I don't quite get this. One technique I use a lot in my videos and which I describe in the book is I try to construct explanations stage by stage so that you essentially go, okay, if we're gonna take this whole subject, um, first of all, we're going to start here and we need to understand this. And the reason we need to understand this is because of these reasons. And you need this information to understand it. And then really quite explicitly in the, in the words I'm using say, okay, so we've looked at a, now we understand a, you'll understand that a connects to B and you'll really, and then at the end of B, you'll say, okay, we've looked at a, which led to B, but actually to understand B, you've then got to come on to, and so you're, you're kind of constructing the explanation stage by stage. Welcome to Tea and Teaching, the educational podcast you can listen to with a cup of tea. I'm Arth Moore, and with me, as always, it's the one and only Mike Harrell. Hi, Mike. Hello, Arthur. How are you? I'm fantastic, buddy. How are you today? Yeah, I'm very good. Ready to start the new school year. Yeah, and... We've got a great pod to kick us off, Mike. We've got a great pod. Do you want to hear who we've got on today? I know you know, but you could feign like you don't know. Oh, yes. Please tell me, Arthur. You'll make a great drama teacher. Uh, we've got Roz Atkins, the BBC journalist and presenter. Uh, I know a lot of our teachers, listeners have used his videos in the classroom, in tutor time, in history lessons, in geography lessons. Uh, and he's going to be talking because he is now also an author, Mike of the book of the art of explanations where we talk about how to explain stuff so listeners go get a cup of tea get a biscuit because this is an absolute beaut of a pod we'll be back in a moment with Roz. welcome back to tea and teaching we are joined today by Roz atkins from the bbc uh Roz, welcome to tea and teaching Thanks for having me, Arthur. Thanks for having me, Mike. Oh, it's our absolute pleasure. Um, for our listeners who maybe don't know who you are or the name rings a bell, do you want to give a give quick introduction to who you are? Yeah, by all means. I'm the analysis editor of BBC News, which means I produce a range of live and video reports, both for TV programming, but also for the BBC's digital output, such as the website and the app, and also make quite a lot of videos for social media too. Uh, before I did this job, I was a TV and radio news presenter for a, for a good while. I had a show called Outside Source for almost 10 years, which finished earlier this year. And before that, going back into the mists of time, I was a news presenter for BBC World Service Radio. 
uh, I listened to a lot of World Service and a lot of Five Live. So like, like... Well, I, that's interesting. I started at Five Live as a junior producer on Simon Mayo's program. You might remember Simon yeah. Mayo was on Five Live for years. So in 2001, I late 2001, I joined as a junior producer on on Simon's program and started to make my way in the BBC. And, and really, Five Live had a huge influence on, on on how I think about news and still does, really. Yeah, I was pretty much brought up on Five Live, just being on the radio. <laughs> I can relate to that. Constantly. Like, that was my entire childhood, was Five Live, maybe Radio 4 if we fancied a treat. Um, so, um, Ros, um, the videos you've been putting out recently, the Ros Atkins on videos, we know they they get used loads in schools. I know teachers use them in their PSHE lessons, their politics history lessons. Uh, I know I've used them with my students. Mike, I know you've used them in your schools. When you were making those videos and when you do make those videos, did you ever think they would be used by teachers in that way? So I guess I hope they would be helpful to a range of people, and that would include teenagers and young adults who are interested in the news. I didn't imagine that we would start hearing from as many secondary school teachers as we did. That was a really lovely surprise. I didn't I didn't expect that when I started making them, well, I started plotting them back in 2019 and we really started making them routinely in 2020. I had a person in mind or, you know, a number of people in mind, and these were people who would be aware of a story, but maybe hadn't quite reasonably kept up with every twist and turn of it. So though they became known as explainers, when I was first thinking of them, I used to think of them as I used to call them all in ones and the, the, the name didn't catch on. So I, I dropped that. But the idea was that if you give me roughly five minutes of your time in return, uh, me and the team I'm working with are going to give you a lot of help understanding what's what with this story. And if I'd stopped to think about it, that would not just be useful to adult consumers of news, but that would also be useful to teenagers who are aware of a story, want to know more, perhaps don't want to listen to a long podcast or a, uh, watch a, a long TV news program, but might give us five minutes. And so uh, it was a really nice surprise. I mean, I just spotted teachers. It happened quite organically. I spotted teachers tweeting that they'd used our videos in the classroom. And I started replying to them saying, thanks. Could you tell me more about this? How are you using them? Uh, when do you use them? And it kind of revealed all these things, which which I was fascinated by. And the, the the three places they were popping up the most, tutor time, I think, was the number one. And A-level geography was number two. And then some history teachers were also using them. Um, and what was also a, a lovely surprise was that they weren't just being used to say to students, OK, you've heard of this story, watch this for five minutes and now you'll understand it. They were really using them as jumping off points to have broader discussions about the news. And also, interestingly, and I didn't see this coming about how we were constructing the news. So they sometimes, I think, use the videos as a case study in explanation and analysis. And of course, that is relevant to a whole range of subjects, history, English, geography and many others. Mike, you're nervous from tutor time, don't you? Get kids walking in being like, oh, I've, I've seen this on the news or Serge, what do you know about this? And sometimes maybe you don't quite know like what's going on. <laughs> well, it's, great, it's great in tutor time to be like, oh, let's just throw some. Mike, when I talk a bit of primary, sometimes put on news round, which is very similar. Right. Kind of, that kind of vibe of let's get the key information to our audience. Yeah, and, I'm, and I met the, you know, I know the, the, department of the BBC which makes Newsround and they do brilliant work and I think what we've got going with our 
videos is is complementary to Newsround. I think Newsround is targeted at, at younger children than than my videos work for, and so I feel like they're they're complementary. I mean, to to look at it through the prism of my life, I've had uh, a younger daughter who's about to finish year six. I don't think these videos would work for her and her class. And I've got an older daughter who's just finishing lower sixth, and I think the videos do work for for children for children her age. But yeah, Newsround's brilliant. And I think one of the reasons they relate to teachers is it's very related to what we do as educators of taking quite big, complex topics with loads of kind of tangents and offshoots and trying to condense it down to a lesson or a series of lessons and trying to convey it to our students in a way they can understand. And I imagine that's kind of how the book came about, kind of seeing how these were resonating. Yes, I mean, we get, we get asked quite a lot by people in a whole range of professions from, from teachers to, to healthcare to advertising and you know, the list goes on how we do our videos. The book really came about primarily because we were being asked, what techniques are you using to try and take what feels like infinite information on very complex subjects and, and get them down into a form that's consumable and helpful, but without discarding so much that you don't really help people understand it. And so, you know, we do, you know, I do have used a whole range of techniques over the years to try and to try and do that. And I, I'm hoping that the book is useful to teachers and to other people in terms of thinking about, well, what is it that I'm trying to get across and what information is it that I would like to, to what points do I want to get across? What information do I want to get across? What questions do I want to raise and discuss? And having clarity of thought around that, as all teachers you know, do very well, uh, is incredibly helpful. And really, I suppose the book is, the, is a case for preparation in that my experience is that this stuff doesn't just happen. You can't just kind of keep your fingers crossed and go, well, I've kind of thought about this subject and hopefully it's all going to come out in a perfectly formed five minutes. My, my experience, both as doing live reporting and live presentation, and then also producing these videos, which of course are, are pre-recorded, um, is that if you can have a system for working out exactly what you're trying to get across, what information you want to include and what you don't want to include, who it's for, and making sure you calibrate that correctly, which of course teachers and masters at, um, that can mean that your chances of doing it effectively spiral upwards. Absolutely, and I think the, the misconception about teaching is it is just the kind of imparting of facts and information, but in fact, the art of teaching is contextualizing and conceptualizing that information, and you know, putting lots of pieces of of key facts and information together to create that concept. And I think that's that's what your videos do so well. Well, um, thank you. And I, I, I see the uh, the difficulty sometimes in teachers, especially when you go to that kind of higher level. You're talking GCSEs, A levels, and there's some really complicated um, themes and topics in there. And it's that that thought process of um, how do I explain this to a group of students? Well, maybe I don't fully understand it myself. Mm. Um, I know some of the stuff you do in maths, Arthur, is is almost degree level at, at A level. Um, so I'm interested, Ros, in terms of how do you how do you get an understanding of it yourself first, and then how do you create this this method of making it easy for other people to understand? Well, I think you're raising a really important point, Mike, because in my experience, you 
can't explain something with clarity and in, in a way that's helpful unless you've understood it, right? You, you can't short circuit that, that process in my experience. And so the first thing that I do is that I'm highly tuned to when I don't understand something and I don't ignore it. So I'm really looking out for my discomfort when I might be discussing in the office a subject or perhaps I'm reading an article or watching a report. I'm looking out for the moments where I'm thinking, actually, I don't quite get this. And your mind will be giving you clues all the time that, that there are moments when you don't understand something. The, the crucial part is to not ignore them and to say, all right, that's a point where I'm really not as clear as I could be. Because if you ignore those when you come to explain them, needless to say, you won't, you won't do it particularly effectively. Once I've spotted the, 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 the aspect of the subject that I don't understand, well, I guess it, I escalate through a number of options in terms of how to fix that. Quite often you don't understand something and you're not the first person to not understand it. So there will be information out there and easily available, that, that, which is why if you Google questions on certain news stories, Google starts offering up the question that you're thinking because you're not the first person to think it. So sometimes you can find the answer easily. Sometimes you have to put more time in and you might need to watch something or listen to something or read something at length. Um, if that doesn't work, then I think, well, who could I ask? There's almost always someone you can find who understands something better. In the case of teaching, it might be that if you're a maths teacher, it might be another maths teacher understands a particular aspect of the subject better. Or if you're a history teacher, perhaps, you know, you're not an expert at the Tudors, but someone else is. And so I'm, as my colleagues will attest, constantly badgering people and saying, I don't understand this, can you help? And so the first thing is to, to spot when you're uncomfortable. The second thing is to try and address that. And then the third thing, which is really important, is that I like to play back what I want to say on the, on the aspect of the subject I don't understand. So if I give you an example, this is from a few years ago, I was sent to Greece to do the Greek debt crisis. This is a really, really complicated story. I know a little about economics, but I'm not a specialist economist by any means. And I was standing on a hot roof in Athens for a week and a half, two weeks, trying to explain this fiendishly difficult story, which was twisting and turning. So we were each day was throwing up new concepts we had to explain. But also on the roof with me in Syntagma Square in Athens was a colleague who was from the BBC Business Unit, who was doing different journalism for the BBC, but who had a much greater handle on the complex, some of the complexities of the story. So I do what I've already said to you, spot when I was uncomfortable, try and answer it myself. If I couldn't answer it myself, go and ask for advice, either from colleagues or elsewhere. And then this colleague, he's now left the BBC, sadly, he's called Joe Lynham. I would say to him, if I'm describing the European bank, central bank's policy in this way, is this okay? So I would, tr I would actually say out loud a representation of what I felt was my understanding. And then he would say, no, it's not quite right, or no, it is right. Now, sometimes you've got the luxury of doing that to someone who understands the subject, but even if you don't, so another example, I was doing the Dutch elections in 2017, and I hadn't got my head around the coalition options as well as I needed to. I just walked around the main square in The Hague, repeating the phrases I was going to use to describe the different coalition options. And the reason I'd emphasize that is that I had already understood the coalition options. So I'd done the work of understanding them, but I hadn't trained my, my mouth, my mind to use that knowledge in a way that was very, very compact and very clear. And as you probably told, if you could tell in the book, 
that connects to something I call verbalization, which I do all the time, which is, you know, spot when you don't understand something, get the understanding and then verbalize how you're going to express that understanding. And the third part of the equation is very, very useful at getting to a point of, of great clarity. Um, but it all starts with spotting when you don't understand something. This reminds me a lot of, especially my early stages of teaching, like going into a class and be like, I know this topic and then realizing I actually don't know how to explain exactly. it. Exactly. It's, preci it's precisely that, Arthur. It's not sometimes that you don't know the subject. In fact, um, well, let's take the example of this book. So I need to say I've written this book and the things in it are uh, things that I know well. But now that I'm starting to have conversations like this with you and starting to do talks about the book and starting to be interviewed about it, there's another section of work for me to, to do, which is to say, OK, I've written a book, you know, for better or for worse, here it is. But I need to make sure that that can translate into me talking about this subject with clarity and I hope in a helpful way. And that's not the same as writing the book. They're, they're related, but it's not the same. And so it's it's being conscious of the challenges that come with, to, to use your example, Arthur, walking into a classroom, you're faced with a bunch of kids. You want to talk to them on a subject you do understand, but it's still not automatic that the way you're going to talk about it will be as helpful as, as could be. And so being conscious of that part of the process and having some techniques that help you to get from, I understand this, in a kind of general way to I can express myself on this subject, you know, that that, that doesn't automatically follow. And, and I have a bunch of techniques to help me kind of make that jump. Mike, I was wondering from your perspective, when you're teaching like sport, high level sports science, which has a lot of terminology in it, which is going to be completely new. Do you have methods of like taking those big words to be really fundamental and like condensing it down, being able to articulate to the students? Yeah, I think it's absolutely what Ros was just saying is first time I ever taught energy systems and any PE teacher will tell you it's the hardest thing to understand. It's you know things like Krebs cycles, pyruvic acid and and how that all breaks down and is processed. You, you're going into to high level biology, essentially. And I started watching videos on YouTube, the Khan Academy, and I learned that video, essentially, the Khan Academy. And then I got into the classroom and I almost delivered verbatim that video and that process and drew it out and and students started asking questions and I fell apart I, I had no idea why this happened or what that was and I just hadn't done my background research um, and the students ended up more confused probably the if they'd just gone and watched the Khan Academy um, themselves and that's when I realized going back to you know, what Ross said is I had to have that deep level understanding to then be able to deliver it the only issue is I was only delivering it once every other year. So I had to keep going, revisiting that process and relearning that and then re, you know, practicing that verbalization to make sure that I could deliver that lesson. And I suppose the trick there, and I, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking I can think of times when I've been reporting on air where things have not hung together as I would like. Um, and often, you know, one thing I'm, I'm really systematic about now is to anticipate what I'm going to be asked because the questions that you're going to be asked you can't 100% predict but probably in that situation Mike you would have been able to predict some of the follow-on questions that the students would ask about the subjects that you were that you were talking about and I think taking time to stop and think okay I've identified what I need to know I've gathered the information I've put in the time to think about how I can speak about that information fluently. That's all great work, but there's a kind of an extra bit of work, which is 
once I offer all this up, what am I likely to get back in return? And, and, and spending some time anticipating that, because my experience, and I don't mean this in a rude way, is that people are quite predictable. If you go and give a talk on a subject to 10 groups of people, you'll get quite similar questions coming back. And so while we can't predict everything will be asked, we can in lots of situations, whether it's as a news reporter or teaching, anticipate quite a few of the questions. So for example, my younger daughter's at a primary school up the road and I do a, a news assembly, I call it once a, once a term when I go in and the key stage two kids come in and, and ask me anything they like about the news. Now they always ask me a couple of questions that I totally didn't see coming and you can't, you can't do anything about that. But actually, for example, I, you know, there, recently um, when the last time I was up there it was just after the submersible that was lost near the Titanic. I knew they'd, I knew they'd be interested in that. So I thought about, well, if they ask me this or that or the other, I'm going to be able to answer these questions. So I think just pausing to think what's likely to be coming at me is helpful. But I guess I'd have a question back to you, Mike, about that situation. So in news, we always have a choice, which is if we've got a complex word or concept or phrase, we can include it and explain it. Or there are options where you just take it out and use simple, simpler language. And I'm interested that you chose to keep the complex, the complexity in and then explain it. Certainly in news, there will be times when we just go, we're just not going to use that phrase. We're going to find a, a more accessible way of describing this. Yeah, so we're very much driven by the exam boards. So if the exam, if they, if you look at the mark schemes, and uh, you know they'll say we expect this certain terminology and this explanation is is what we need. So for instance, you know I I could go lower level here, further down um, secondary school. I could teach the students that the muscle at the back of their lower leg is called the calf muscle, but then they're going to get to GCSE and they're going to be expected to call it the gastrocnemius. Right. Um, so it creates a confusion there. And, and what you end up with students they get into the habit of using incorrect terminology. So it, it can be um, sometimes you, you have to force that that terminology that almost clouds their understanding because of it. And I guess there's, there's ways I've done it before where it's here's the simple explanation. Right. Next lesson, we're going to build on this and we're going to start adding that that level of detail. But it's not getting them into the habit of of kind of sticking to the. The simplified version of it um, yeah and I'd go a kind of step further on the point you're making I work with a lot of trainee teachers and early career teachers and one of the things we say to them is not just anticipating the questions you're going to get back but anticipating the misconceptions that might come during that session so when you're teaching a topic what are students what are they going to misunderstand within that um, and then almost planning to to have that extra level of explanation in there to avoid misconceptions. So that's interesting. So we do something similar in news where we would say, what this doesn't mean is, so we'll kind of go and meet how people might be consuming the story halfway and say like, this doesn't add up to this. What it does add up to is, is instead this. So you're not just telling them what's correct, but sometimes you'll take some time to also address where people might quite reasonably be getting the wrong end of the stick and that is that is massively helpful um the other thing i'm thinking as we're talking is that one technique i use a lot in my videos and which i describe in the book is i try to construct explanations stage by stage so that you essentially go okay if we're going to take this whole subject um first of all we're going to start here and we need to understand this and the reason we need to understand this is because of these reasons and you need this information to understand it and then really quite 
explicitly in the in the words I'm using say okay so we've looked at a now we understand a you'll understand that a connects to b and you'll really and then at the end of b you'll say okay we've looked at a which led to b but actually to understand b you've then got to come on to and so you're you're kind of constructing the explanation stage by stage but you are explicitly sharing the structure of the explanation so that the 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 audience can has a sense of where you're taking them through the through the subject and i think that can be uh you know i yeah i call it surfacing the structure it's essentially we all have structures as teachers or as uh, journalists and lots of other forms of communication we'll have them but sometimes we'll keep them hidden from the people we're talking to we just share the kind of product of the structure it can sometimes be very useful to explicitly say what you're doing which you know is a lesson i learned doing a level history and it still holds it still holds you know very well a question i often get asked in maths is like like why do i need to know this like yeah. why do i need to be able to do this process and the problem with maths is when you start doing these processes you have to do it in such a simple way that the student can't even like relate it to something they might have to solve. So sometimes we would do is go like, right, we're going to start here, but this is the end goal. This is where we're trying. Yeah, that's to great. Get to. And I've I can remember I can think of talking to uh, to children about maths in particular, where they've said things of that ilk, which is like I kind of enjoy doing it, but I don't quite know why I'm doing it. Um, and I think that's what you're describing is really context, isn't it? It's it's saying to people here's the information, hopefully prepared very well, hopefully explained very well, but also the reason you should care about this information is because of this. And in, in news, that's the context. So if you if you break a news story down, really you would often have what we call the top line, which is something has happened. You would have related information, here's some detail of what's happened. And then you would have context, which is, and the reason this event is of consequence is because, and then you explain the the context of the event. And really what you're describing sounds sounds quite similar, which is that you're both explaining the the maths, the element of maths that you're teaching, but you're also explaining why people should care about it, why it matters. One thing I really like in the book, Ross, is you have a couple of phrases you say, I, I keep using these phrases. And right. I'm sure you realize this as a teacher, you set on some phrases that you work really work for you and you kind of have those your, how you structure your explanation. Mike, do you do a similar thing? Do you have like go-to phrases? Possibly, possibly phrases I don't even know I use. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I guess I've got lots of, I guess I try and always bring it back to the why are we doing this? So like in PE, again, it's similar, very similar to maths. Alpha. A, a student will sit there and go, I'm never going to play basketball in my life. Why would I need to know to do this? So I think it's about the same. Today, we're going to do this. The reason why we're doing this is this, and this is where it can lead us. And this is how we can relate it to other topics. So they, they see that kind of context in, in what we're learning. I think it's really helpful to have phrases that that help both join the information you've got and also pull the information together so i think in the book one of the one of the sections i'm talking about how i tend to wrap wrap things up so you know you know 
you know, all of which means, you know, so you've kind of gone, this has happened and we've got to understand this and we've got to, this has happened and this has happened. And then as you kind of putting it together, all of which means that, and then you kind of, you know, that's just one simple example, but there are a number that I would use at different points in the, um, you know, one of the things I tried when I was uh, starting off with my explainer videos was to, if, was for it to feel like I was telling you a story and a story that you wanted to hear the end of. So it wasn't just, here's a bunch of useful information because useful information is great, but it may not be enough to hold you. Sometimes it might be, but it might not be. But if I say, now this is a story and then I immediately sell that story to you. And within that story, you're gonna get a bunch of helpful information and, and explanation. Then I started to see that that started to be very powerful. And so I started to experiment with uh, phrases that help me construct a story. And one of them, this might seem really obvious, is that some of my videos, not all of them, of course, because you can't overplay your Trump cards, but some of them start with, this is a story of, and I literally say in the first sentence, what I, the story that I'm going to tell you. And if I can, uh, I think I give the example of a report I gave, uh, an explainer I did around Taiwan a couple of years ago, where I said something like, this is a, uh, you know, this is a story of great importance to the government in Beijing, but it's also a story of great importance for everyone who, for everyone in the world. I didn't, I'm not remembering it perfectly off the top of my head, but my point was to say, like, here's an interesting story if you're interested in Taiwan and you're interested in China, but also here's an interest, this is also interesting if, just if you care about the, the state of our world and the power structures within our world. And so you are right at the top saying, huh, this hopefully is something that's going to pique your interest. And then you can start unpacking it using some of those phrases you're talking about, Arthur, to keep the audience moving through the story and then concluding the story for them. And my experience, and I'm going to sound a bit like a start record here, is that if you just hope to come up with those things, you might do in the moment. But if you think about them in advance, you're much more likely to have better phrases and deploy them better when you need them. I'm interested because like we every teacher will still teach lessons no matter how experienced they are and they come out and go do you know what I didn't quite get that right today I didn't quite get that right and I'm sure you still have that with your live presentations or your videos what can people do when they look back on their own explanation that they think they know the topic but they haven't explained it in a way they're happy do you have any kind of go-to reflection methods anything you do to keep improving so I, I yeah I, I definitely I definitely do because needless to say I don't I don't get there's always there's always much plenty I can do better every single time um so I tend to have two lists when I'm reviewing something that I've done one is what I need to do better and one is what I've done well and generally people are much better at filling in the first list than the second list but actually either by design or by accident we all do things that really effectively communicate what we're wanting to communicate and sometimes we'll miss it so to give you an example I started a what's become quite a big diversity project called the 5050 project at the BBC. And when I was trying to get it off the ground, I was giving lots of talks to individuals and small teams about what the project was. And sometimes I could really feel that a certain phrase describing the project, you could just feel that it was syncing with the room, that it was resonating with the room. And other times I'd use a phrase that I thought was quite good and you could just see it kind of not really capturing people's imagination. And I used to really be on the lookout for the first because I was like, okay, if that phrase is working with this group, it's very likely to work with the next group and the next group. 
So the first thing would be, if you're doing something well, make sure you spot it and, and jot it down and make a resolution to do it again. So Because you will do things very well once and there's a risk that it just slips away and doesn't come back. So that's the first one. And then the second one, which is harder to fix, which is, okay, well, that didn't go well. What can I do? And the, what I would try and do in that moment is to say, well, first of all, what's the problem? Was it that I spoke too quickly? Was it that I included too much information? Was it that I didn't uh, flag this section clearly enough so people didn't know what was coming? Did I uh, overload it with complexities and details so people couldn't work out what was important, what wasn't? Try and spot why you thought it didn't work. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, evidently, is to go, well, how could I have done that? How could I have done that better? And what I try and do in those moments, so for example, if I'm reporting, let's imagine, well, like down, I was down in Downing Street a lot last, last year when Boris Johnson was, was in trouble as prime minister. And you know, you're doing a lot of live broadcasting and sometimes you'll think you really capture something another time you won't be quite happy with how you've got it. In the latter situations, I would try out different ways of doing it better. So I would stop and go, why wasn't I happy? I would identify why I wasn't happy. I would try and come up with a, a solution that addressed that. And I would say it out loud to myself. And I would say, well, if I did, if I'd done it this way, would I have been happy? And if, I, if yes, great. If no, I have another go at it. And I have another go at it. And I have another go at it. And like, <laughs> this is the, the main tip is just to never ignore your discomfort whether it's in terms of your understanding of the subject or your explanation of the subject, be aware of your discomfort and don't wish it away. And in the end, if you keep stopping and going, I'm still uncomfortable with this. Why am I uncomfortable with it? Okay, I've identified that. Here's me trying to address why I think it could be better. I like what I've done, that's fine. I don't like what I've done. Okay, I'm gonna try something different. And then if you hit a real wall, say in the context of teaching, ask another teacher. I keep trying to explain this particular aspect of the subject, but I keep just feeling it's not right. How do you do it? And so similarly, when I'm down in Downing Street, I might be talking to something like my, my colleague, Rob Watson, who's a brilliant political journalist. I might say to him, look, two or three times I've used this phrase to capture this particular part of the story, and I'm just not quite sure it's right. And he might say, well, try it. What I'm saying is this. So we would trade notes on we're using this phrase or we're using this angle or we're using this structure. Um, because my experience, and I don't know how it is with, with teaching, is that, that as journalists, we can all get to the point of being better at this. It's more just being conscious about going through the steps of identifying where we need to be better and then making sure that we, we find something that, that's an improvement. Um, so yeah, so th that's a long, that's a long way of saying, yes, I review what I do all the time and I'm constantly thinking, mm, I think that could have been better or that was good. I'm going to keep that. Um, but the, the final point I'd make, and it's a slight repetition, but it's, it's, it's worth it. I hope is just watch out for when you use phrases or, uh, series of sentences that really, really capture what you're trying to say. You will naturally come up with them sometimes. And if you can lock them and hold on to them, they're very powerful because in teaching, in live journalism, we're not working off scripts, right? We're just, you're talking to a classroom, I'm talking to an audience on the TV and radio. But 
within what we're saying can be phrases or sentences or structures that we have used before. So you're not going to be reading a script to, to your class, but you might every time you talk about one aspect of a story always use a certain phrase or you might always use this sentence into that sentence into that sentence but you're much less likely to spot those really effective moments if you're not reviewing what you do and not jotting down when you do something that works mike i think i've said this before on the pod the best thing i've done as teachers have my lessons recorded and watch them back because you just pick up right. on I used to say so every other sentence. I managed to kind of cut that out. Um, and I worked out the things that were reworking. And I'm sure, Mike, you've had people come into your lessons and talk to you about lessons and feedback and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I as a trainee teacher, you say, OK. And it was me checking off that I'd done that thing. So I would planned and over planned like you do as a trainee. And I'd say something, and go, OK, as if I'd almost checked off that tick list but yeah absolutely so this is so the, the crossover is really you know striking because this is precisely what i would do as a presenter is that you would watch or listen to yourself back and you'll spot ticks where you start saying the same you start saying the same phrase too often um it's a completely natural thing to to do but if you don't spot it it can kind of run riot and 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 so watching back and listening back it can be a bit uncomfortable kind of arthur i'm sure sometimes you were watching it and thinking my goodness what? this is it was awful. awful um but you know we we um uh I, you know i i do it and sometimes it sometimes it sometimes it's uncomfortable sometimes you get a nice surprise and think all right actually that hung together but i think what you both are describing though is is that the more conscious we can become of the language we're using, the the better we'll we'll communicate, whether it's in the classroom or on the news. And often, one of the biggest things we're doing is either is is unnecessary words. We're kind of laden with uh, the information and the understanding that we want to pass on is being clogged up with any number of phrases and and words and extraneous sentences that don't really add up or add add to what you're trying to get across and when I get this doesn't always happen I hasten to add but when I get to a point of real clarity when I'm explaining something I can just feel the number of words that I'm using to get the information across has come down and the words I am using are all working in service of what I'm trying to communicate and when you get to that point that's a that's an exciting feeling because you really can you know that you've distilled what you want to get across you've paid attention to your level of understanding you've paid attention to how you want to communicate all of this and you've been mindful of not ladening what you've got with extraneous words and sentences and then that you do that one two three four and then suddenly you're in a position where what you're passing on is precisely what you want to get across and you know that can feel that can feel good listeners me and mike are just nodding away because every teacher we've all had that moment where we're like i am using too many words and i'm still talking about this topic and they've gone and they're not listening and then we've also had the lowest lessons where we've come out and been like I, I did good today and it's probably because i didn't talk as much and and maybe the thing is about how to reduce that there are a number of ways to reduce that one is to uh just watch out I, I call them obstacles for un, to understanding which is an adaptation of a phrase of a colleague of mine called alan little who talks about obstacles to 
comprehension, but we're talking about the same thing, which is when you laden your communication with words that don't serve the purpose of the communication. And they are, they are not just, they're not just neutral. They're not just sitting there not being helpful. They are actively undermining what you're doing. So hunting them down and going, do I need to say that person's name? Or do I really need this piece of information? Or do I need this piece of context? Maybe you do, but it's worth checking because the more you get rid of, the more you end up with the essential information and the essential understanding, which is what you're, which is what you're trying to, to, to get across. And then the, the other thing that I find very helpful as well as kind of stripping out all that extraneous detail is if you've already thought about the subject in a, in structure, in a structured form, that can really help. So you've already stripped the language back that you're going to use. And then if you attach a structure as well, so you might go, right, well, on this subject, there are three things that we really need to understand. First, dum -da -dum -da -dum. second, dum -da -dum. third, dum -da -dum. and it's both helpful for the people listening to you to take that in. But crucially, it's also helpful to you to stay disciplined and tight in terms of what you're delivering. So that feeling you're describing, Arthur, where you're just thinking, oh, blimey, I've been talking for ages and I'm not quite sure what I'm saying. If you've already structured your thoughts in advance, that's much, much less likely to happen because you know, as you come onto your, that particular subject, on that particular subject, I'm going to talk about A and these are the things I'm going to say in A. I'm going to talk about B and, and, and it can, when it goes well, it can come out as being incredibly consumable um and that gives you the best chance which is you know whether you're trying to explain a subject in a classroom or whether you're trying to explain an idea to you know it might be it might not just be how you communicate with your students right it might be how you communicate with each other maybe you're trying to persuade the school to do something if you're trying to persuade the school to do something if you can strip away all of the other information around what you're saying and just get down to its essence the chance of the school being persuaded will go up i think Feel like the best chance is a good name for another podcast, Mike. I feel like that's a that's a good name. Uh, well, I, I always think that I, I mean I, I suppose there are there are times when I'm not quite as sanguine as this, but I, I I suppose generally I always feel like if you're trying to communicate and explain something and you do a number of things that you know will help give that information the best chance, and for whatever reason you don't manage to fully persuade someone of something or fully explain something you can at least go well all right I've, I've i've given myself the best chance here and the next time i'll come back at it again um that feels a really nice place to end the conversation was thank you so much for joining us on tea and teaching not at all thank you very much for inviting me it's been a pleasure been very very interesting to listen to you and um it's been one of the one of the real thrills of the last three four years has just been hearing from so many teachers, not just in the UK, but around the world, actually, who have been using our videos. We never imagined it would become uh, it would become you know, a, a thing like that. So it's been a real treat to, to understand all the techniques that, that you're all using in the classroom. And there's definitely plenty I can learn. Um, that's great. To hear. I, I know so many of our listeners use your videos. Um, if people want to find out more about you, watch the videos, find out about the book, where do they go? What do they type into Google? What do they do? Uh, well, if they want to find that, if they want to buy the book, it's I think it's available from from all good bookshops. I think is the phrase that we use. Uh, if you want to be in touch with me, that I mean, I am on most of the social platforms, but the two I use the most at the moment are Twitter and LinkedIn. So you can find me on on either of those. But I am on Facebook. If you'd like to 
to hunt me down there. I'm not very, and it's not very hard to work out my email address either. Well, <laughs> um, thank you so much for being on T and Teaching. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, listen- Thanks for having me. Perfect. Listeners, we'll be back in a moment. Hi, it's Leica Sharma here. Can I take a moment to let you know about my latest book, Building Culture, a handbook to harnessing human nature to create strong school teams. It's essentially a book for leaders all about how to create the right conditions within our team for sustainable school improvement. Now let's grab a cuppa and get back to the pod. Welcome back to Tea and Teaching. Who knew after there was such a crossover between teaching and journalism? It was it was really interesting, wasn't it, Mike, of how often we were saying something and Ros was going, oh, yeah, I do that. And then he would say something and be like, oh, yeah, that sounds like being in the classroom. Um, maybe we should all just be journalists or maybe all journalists should be teachers. I don't know. Maybe the BBC should open a school. Who knows? Yeah. BBC Bite Size? Wait, it would, that sounds like a fantastic name. Someone should pick that up on that. <laughs> uh, my key takeaway from that was the importance of using colleagues and understanding when something didn't go wrong and going to speak to a colleague or didn't go right sorry and speaking to a colleague and saying I just tried to do this it didn't go our plan this is how I did it how would you do it can you listen to me redo it again and I know we're all time poor in schools but that actually would have such an impact on what we do on a day-to-day and in the long term save us so much time and stress because we get it down to that clear and obvious explanation and I think on that point, we quite often go to people in our department, don't we? Can I check my knowledge of this? But when we actually want to explain it, sometimes it's really nice to go to someone outside your department. I know I've I've done this with you, kind of gone, can I just run this by you? Or I've done this at home with my wife, being like, can I just run over how I'm saying this phrase or something like this? So maybe your department for knowledge, but don't be scared to go away from your department and talk to the staff room, Mike, the magic of the staff room. If your school has one, who knows? If, don't don't um um for me mike it was you spoke about the phrase don't ignore again and again and again if you're trying to explain something or you're getting ready to explain something or you're planning a lesson and you feel something's not right your knowledge maybe isn't there like don't ignore that feeling go away and like try and try and improve it and we've spoke about being time poor but there's nothing worse is there Mike, than being in a classroom halfway being through in a topic and be like I actually don't know what I'm doing right now. We've all had that moment. A-level stats for me, very early on being like, I, I actually don't really get what I'm talking about here. And this is not going to be a fun lesson. So don't ignore that feeling. Like, go and fix it before you go into that classroom. Yeah, and plan those questions that might come at you, because that's the one. I understand this topic that I'm doing to you, teaching to you right now. And then a question comes up and you go, I've got nothing. And the students know straight away that you you wrote learn that lesson. You've kind of that old adage, isn't it? I'm one page ahead of you in the book. Um, but the minute they ask a question, you say, I've been honest before. Like, I need to go away and, and get an answer for you. I won't have an answer to this lesson, but you know, we'll talk about this next lesson. But if you can get into a situation where you can have a response prepared because you've anticipated that question, then that just helps students understand the topic that you're teaching them. And I'd really recommend his book, Mike. His book is really uh, really nice to have a different perspective on how to explain stuff to people, like not from a teacher background. It's a it's a really nice book to kind of go in and get those those little hints and phrases. There's definitely stuff I've already taken away that I'm going to go and kind of implement in my teaching. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Go and buy the book. So, yeah, thanks to Ros for his time. And thank you, Arthur. And thank you to our listeners.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Tea and Teaching. If you've enjoyed the content of this episode, please feel free to share it with other educators. And if you're able to, please leave a review on the platform. And as always, thank you for listening to Tea and Teaching.